Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. The true origin of today's episode starts in 1632 with the birth of one Antony von Leeuwenhoek, a Dutch businessman in the fabric trade. Uh, Leeuwenhoek, in an effort to better see the threads of fabrics that he wished to purchase in an effort to determine their worth, developed a method of producing incredibly small and powerful lenses and is credited with the invention of the first microscope. After refining the technique, Lowenhook went on to be the first person on Earth to see unicellular life. And now, hundreds of years later, the field of microscopy has developed to the point that we no longer use light, but electrons to see the smallest parts of our world. That being said, optical lenses are still used in a wide variety of cases, from cameras to medical devices. And with it comes opportunity for business to flourish. One of the largest players in this space is Olympus, the Japanese company which you may know best for its production of high-end cameras, but also controlled a major market share in medical imaging technology, such as endoscopes. Because of this, Olympus was one of the largest companies listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange in the 90s and 2000s. However, after being appointed its first-ever foreign-born CEO, the Brit Michael Woodford would discover some skeletons within the accounting closet of Olympus. So say cheese as we develop <laughs> the big picture behind what has been dubbed the Japanese Enron. I got really angry during the Enron episode. As you should. It was yeah. awful. So we'll see if I get as angry today. They don't like uh, make fun of old ladies in this one. So I'm, that that's the thing with Enron that always sticks with me is like, man, those people really did make fun of old ladies. I don't remember. That's when they were like, who cares if grandmas are out of power in California oh, when they were like right. causing those the false deficit there? Yeah, they were dicks. Uh, so welcome back, everybody. To white collars, red hands. Uh, as always, it's Kashan hanging, hey, hanging out with Nina. Um, if you're watching the podcast, I look terrible. You might notice that that, that Nina looks a little bit like the uh, beginning of a '90s movie where uh, they they take what's that '90s movie where they they uh, make the bet where he turns the ugly girl into a prom queen? I don't know. And it's literally just like she like takes off her glasses and like takes down her ponytail, and you're like, "Wow, she was hot the whole time." Yeah. Don't worry, not you're just at the beginning of that movie. I'm I'm going just like a caterpillar blossoms into a butterfly. You're gonna have your hot girl transformation. I too will have my hot girl moment. <laughs> Everyone watching will be like, "She is as ugly as she sounds." I told her there was no way that's ever possible. She could never look as <laughs> ugly as she sounds. Um, Kashan did say I sound like a female rugby player. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Gonna have to edit out those snippets. I know. I'm or so leave sorry. a minute at this point. Now it's, it's just a joke. I'm, now that we led up to it, I'm a little under the weather. Hey, it's good because now people at home know you're not like people who just listen to the podcast know you're not faking. No, I'm not faking it. <laughs> uh, I. Yeah, I thought I was going to die on the highway today. My head hurts so bad. I was like, I might pass out. 
And then I just kept driving. Sounds like you shouldn't have been driving, but all Probably right. Probably shouldn't have been driving. Uh, that's a bad decision. And you know what else <laughs> is replete with bad decisions? This episode? This episode. Man, this this one actually is pretty crazy. Um, I learned a little bit, and soon you will too, about uh, Japanese economics. Um, oh. And a little bit about uh, Japanese corporate culture. Oh, yeah, it's fucked up. And today, this story has a hero. We need a hero. Holding out for a hero to the the end end of the the night. night. Um, So, yeah, so so let's just get right into it. I Uh, I do want to say I have a very close connection with Japan. I lived there for a year, fun fact. Hey, there we go. Well, you might be able to actually answer some questions. I probably won't be. Probably not. Uh, Just be like, what is boba taste like? Uh, (laughs) I fucking love boba. I bet you do. Uh, The company, now known as Olympus, was established all the way back uh, October of 1912 by a lawyer named Takeshi Yamashita in order to create domestic microscopes in Japan all the way back in 1912. But they also focused on the development of thermometers. We were pairing. Not 100% sure why. They were like, you know what? Microscopes and also thermometers, except for, like, they both do science stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Um, just months after the company was founded, uh, Yamashita's team of engineers developed their first microscope called the... the Asahi. Asahi. Thank you. See? That's why, that's why we have you here. Um, it's a regular early 1900s, like, compound microscope. Looks like a telescope, but pointed down. That's how I could describe it. Uh, <laughs> the big difference is that this was the first one produced by industrial methods in Japan. So you wanted a microscope before they were making them by hand. Oh, shit. You know, like yeah. they, were, they were hard to get and they were expensive or you imported them. Like other places were making industrial build uh, microscopes, but not in Japan. So that was the first one. Um, in 1936, Olympus bought its first cam- or brought its first camera to market. Uh, interestingly titled the semi-Olympus, like what I got slow dancing in middle school. Am I right? What's up? (laughs) You did not like that one. That's fine. Uh, The camera was fitted with one of the company's now famous lenses. And from here on out, Olympus would be known mostly for its camera technology. Um, you would be mistaken, though, if you thought that Olympus stayed merely a camera company. Nay, nay. Although I told you already they didn't. Although they still make my- microscopes to this day, they were still in the microscope business, uh, Olympus found a large market share in other forms of medical imaging. Uh, I assume one day their engineers were just sitting in a lab, looking at a camera, and thinking, what if that went up someone's butthole? And then they did that. <laughs> um, funny enough, so I had gone on a couple dates with this guy who was either going to be a cardiologist or the doctor that puts the scope up your butt. A gastroenterologist. Yes, a gastroenterologist. Yeah, one of, the, one of those. Um, <laughs> and he was like, I was like, well, which one do you want to do? And he's like, honestly, the gastro and gastroenterologist that's close enough whatever um he's like it's kind of fun because um it's kind of like a video game (laughs) what he was like putting the camera up there and he's playing strangers assholes like it's like it's fucking far cry 3 yep all right he's like yeah it's kind of like a good video game What's with you and doctors? Because I you, love them. You got ER doc too. I got ER doc. I've got a couple of nurses under my belt. 
I love first generation men in the medical field. Hey, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. If you're a first generation man in the medical field, even a janitor at a hospital. Yeah. I know it's we'll, fine. They we'll need, you're, not gonna, you're not going to lose your job. They're always going to need a janitor. That's true. Because yeah. of, of the blood. Yeah, because of the blood and the, the blood. vomit and the piss and the poop. All the above. Yeah. Yuck. <laughs> uh, so Olympus is credited with the creation of the first flexible endoscope, which scares me that there were inflexible endoscopes before that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Don't know how that works? Don't want to know how that works. It's fine. Man, could you imagine your booty hole after getting reamed with one of those? Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the first flexible endoscope was used for getting all the nooks and crannies. And as of today, they still hold a whopping 70% market share in GI endoscopes. Wow. Uh, during the reign of their... Film cameras, though, uh, a young political science grad named Suyoshi Kikukawa joined the corporate fold and quickly worked his way up the ranks, stopping at one point as managing director for PR and advertising. And while performing his duties, Kikukawa saw a burgeoning demand for digital SLR cameras and developed a strategy to front run them in this department. Uh, his strategy worked, and Olympus released a 800,000 pixel digital camera in 1996, which is about double the pixels of a standard 480p definition TV. So it's not HD pictures yet. They but, were, you know, they're getting there. It's not awful. Um, and by the way, the, the best, the next best ranked camera had less than half that. Oh, wow. Pixel wise. So they did good. It was good. People liked it. Um, and this propelled Kikakawa into the positions of CEO, president, and chairman of the board all at the same time. Wow. Um, which could still happen at this time. Obviously, in America, you can't do that. Your CEO cannot also be no. your chairman of the board and your president. There are, no. there are rules against that, no. at least for publicly held companies. And the rule of Kikakawa would be an absolute one. Although he was widely regarded as having a quote-unquote Western style of company management, uh, the roots of loyalism in Japanese corporate structure run deep. Yeah. You are loyal to the death for the company you work for. Mm -hmm. The amount of like loyalty that it's, that Japanese corporate workers have it's is very toxic. insane. Yeah, they will do yeah. whatever, whenever. Um, most boardrooms are just like... They all listen to one person, and no matter what they say, they're just like, yes, 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 yep. yes. Yep. There's no discussion about anything. It's, no. You listen to the person directly above you, and that, and tell other people below you what to do, and that's it. Yeah. Um, this, of course, can't be said for those who grew up outside of Japan, however. It happens here in America, but, you know, we're a little bit more feisty. We'll, we'll tell our bosses to fuck off every now and again. Well, and there's also a difference in just the culture in general, like... I, I when I was living in Japan, it was described to me that, um, like Eastern mindset, like in Jap in Japan, and even this goes to China and all of Asia. Eastern culture is very community minded, whereas Western culture, like our 
culture is very individually minded so Mm -hmm. like we think what is best for me what's like i'm gonna do what's best for me and over there they go well what is best for my community and so that's where you get some of this like blind loyalty and like blind loyalty to companies and to family and things like that because it's you don't want to cause an issue and so that's why it's so much like blind dead devotion i think the hardest thing is that the the real answer is somewhere in between those which no one ever wants to hear because that's hard you can't just think about one way you got to think about all of them no you do you do um but because this is you know like you said a very eastern mindset when in 2011 kikukawa decided to appoint a foreigner the brit michael woodford as president of their medical imaging division uh kikukawa was not ready for just how against the grain woodford was willing to go so first uh, we have to get into a little backstory about what happened in the japanese economy uh leading up to the 90s uh through the 80s uh so while me and nina were merely glints in the eyes of our fathers and swimmers in uh well i'll let you finish that sentence uh in japan the market was booming and this might seem really good for japanese companies Right, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't because the yen was becoming more and more highly valued. The yen was strong, which actually hurt the ability for export deals huh. because they weren't making as much money back because oh. the yen was worth getting close to what like a dollar was worth. So when they were getting U.S. dollars in return for payment of what they were exporting, now that the yen was doing better, they were actually making like less money on the oh, conversion, shit. and so this stagnated profits. So, well, what do you do when that happens? You make risky bets, all right? And companies ran to the Tokyo Stock Exchange to buy stock in each other with borrowed money from the banks and a bunch of speculative deals. Um, And everyone saw results because, like like I said, the uh, the economy was booming. But it, it was booming in part because all these companies were taking out debt to then invest in other companies in Japan. So they were all boosting each other with all this debt, but you can't do that for forever because that's like yeah. the definition of a bubble. <laughs> and bubbles, of course, pop. And this one was no different. Uh, in the aftermath of the ensuing, ensuing crash, it was found that companies were making really risky bets like derivatives and rate swaps, among others, and uh, the accounting laws in Japan they actually let you list these speculative assets at their purchase value, not their fair market value. So when you reported them on your books, you would report them as what you paid for them, not what they're worth now. So if they went down, oh fuck, you don't have to report that loss. Why? That's just how accounting worked in Japan at the time. That doesn't it's, make sense. It's called not mark to market. You don't have to adjust your assets to fair market value. You only have to list them as what you purchase them for, even if they've gone down. Theoretically, at some point, they should get a readjustment, but like you didn't have to until you wanted to. Which, yeah, it's it, it's dumb uh, because you know you basically lost money on it as long as you just held it. Though you would never have to report it. Uh, but luckily, this bubble pop taught Japanese lawmakers their lesson on this. And in the 90s, they said from here on out, no more dirty tricks, 
we're adopting mark to market. You have to report your assets for their fair market value if they're speculative assets like this. Um, so Olympus facing down the barrel of a gun and knowing that they were going to have to admit some losses immediately started thinking up some other dirty little tricks. Oh, the, those dirty little bastards. I know, right? And the first and the next little dirty, filthy little trick they came up with uh, was a way to move uh, the almost worthless assets off their books before they'd have to record the loss. And the way they did this is in a way we have seen multiple times before, actually. They set up um, a couple of the internal auditors and like the uh, the compliance officer in the company uh, set up a bunch of shell companies okay mostly in the Cayman Islands okay that were funded with loans to for the startup capital uh, and they quote unquote bought the assets that were that were gonna lose money for Olympus they bought those assets from them at the market that they were at what they paid them for. So technically, they were getting, they were they were basically breaking even on them okay. on their books. But what, they were really buying their own assets with another company. You can't do that and overpaying for them to, to basically. Now you're probably thinking, well, this doesn't work forever because they still own the other company, right? So someone has to pay back those losses, which is true. But they were like, well, what we'll do is we'll get them off Olympus's books so we don't have to report them, and then we'll just like bet more to try and win it all back. Basically, we'll invest even more and even more risky uh, investments, and hopefully we can just pay them off at this other company. This moved their losses from their books and padded their balance sheets. At the end of two years, from 1997 to 1998, Olympus managed to move assets totaling more than 64 billion yen into multiple shell companies. Now, of course, you can't just write sold a bunch of shady assets to companies in tax haven countries because they were all set up on like the Cayman Islands uh, on the balance sheet. Uh, plus the purchases to the shell companies was once again financed with more debt. So Olympus also discovered a way to hide this flow of the capital out of the company. Uh, so they started making a bunch. We've also seen this too a couple of times, but they started making a bunch of like really weird acquisitions. Like they would acquire companies that they had no business owning as a medical imaging company um like a microwave food manufacturer that was one of the ones they mentioned like the they made the little microwave meals why are they on that because they could well what they needed to do is keep bringing in companies so that when they acquired them they could overvalue them and say that they paid more for them than what they did um, and then they would put the excess value to the company as goodwill. Because basically, if you pay, when you buy a company and you're another company, and technically they only have like physical assets, like let's say they have, okay, they have this many computers, they have this many chairs, whatever. They have physical assets worth like $2 million. But you paid $10 million for them. That excess, the $8 million, you write on your balance sheet is something called goodwill, which is... It means like intangible, it's an intangible asset. So it's like other stuff you're paying for, like patents or intellectual property, um, things that you can't like hold. They're not tangible, but they still have worth to them. So that's usually what it's used for. But they were like way overpaying past that and then just writing it all off as goodwill. Um, And goodwill at this time, also in Japan, this changed later, could be amortized. 
which if you remember what amortization is, it's when you can split the payments for an asset that you bought over a certain period of time. It let them, whatever they didn't move off um, and they still had to hold, now they could at least split the payments over their balance sheet so the losses were spread out. Okay. So which made things look, look better, better in the end yeah. of it. Yeah, over multiple periods. Um, and thereby reducing the overall impact of the losses that couldn't be made up by other means. Uh, at this point, no one was any the wiser about this scheme. Um, uh, even their auditor, KPMG, hadn't blown the whistle on... <coughs> Sorry. You're good. Even their auditor, KPMG, hadn't blown the whistle on the over-evaluations. Uh, but a Japanese finance magazine was the first to point out some of the irregularities in the business of Olympus. In an article in Facta, the Japanese financial magazine, uh, they asked questions about a whopping $687 million paid to a consulting in consulting fees uh, during the acquisition of a medical manufacturing company in Europe by the name of Gyrus. And this is also where we reintroduce ourselves to Michael Woodford. Bum, bum, bum. So Michael Woodford was overseeing the European Medical Division in 2008 when Olympus acquired Gyrus. But for some reason, the Tokyo headquarters handled the whole deal without any of his oversight. Even though he thought he's like, I literally control this aspect of the company. Why wasn't I included? Um, so he started asking some questions. And although he had worked his way up the ranks of this company, he had worked here for three decades at this point. Like he started as like a sales person and worked all the way up to being the lead of their European medical Shit. division. Um, so he's been here for a while. He's done a lot of stuff. And this made him consider resigning from the company because he was like, they're doing this without my permission. He thought it was kind of fishy and he almost resigned. Uh, but he decided to stay. He was convinced to stay, and after many years of solid leadership, Woodford was promoted to the Tokyo office to be the president of the whole company. Um, that is when that FACTA article was calling into question Gyrus and the Gyrus acquisition, and that was passed to him, uh, passed to Woodford by a German colleague. And he wasted no time bringing the article to the attention of Kikakawa. He literally got it and was like, this is shady. Why did we pay over $600 million in consulting fees? That doesn't happen. Um, he called Kikakawa's receptionist. It was like, hey, I saw this article. I need to talk to Kikakawa today about it. And she was like, okay, uh, let me call you back. And she calls him back and she said something along the lines of, well, Mr. Kikakawa is very busy today. But since you're so insistent, he says that he'll meet you during his lunchtime. So it already he's like, and I mean, you know about like, uh, like Japanese people wouldn't really talk to each other like this. Uh-uh, no. Right? Like no. that's disrespectful yeah. to say. And you don't disrespect someone like that in Japan. So already he's like, whoa. Yeah. That wasn't okay. No. And it got even less okay because he shows up to the meeting and he walks in. And this is this is like... A terrible story. Um, he walks in and he looks and Kikakawa has this like big ornate sushi platter in front of him. And then he, he's like, oh, okay. And he even says, he's like, everyone knows that I love sushi. I'm like, who doesn't? Okay. Yeah. He's like, everyone knows I love sushi. And then I looked over 
He said he looks over to his seat, and in front of it is a tuna sandwich still in the wrapper. Was it from 7-Eleven? That's what it. That's what I. How we described it. That's because what it looks like. there are very into Seven Eleven over there. Yeah, he. I, I would often buy my lunch from Seven Eleven. Yeah, literally the way he described it was like they got they ran to a gas station, and like picked up a tuna sandwich, and was like plop that down on a plate on the other side of of this guy. With it's this different than our Seven Eleven. You won't get sick from eating there. I eat Seven Eleven all the time. I don't eat. I don't get sick. I got deathly ill the last time I ate Seven Eleven. Bruh. Stop doing that. Then. And if I eat a 7-Eleven hot dog, my stomach will literally get so big. I fucking love 7-Eleven hot dogs. I look like I'm pregnant. Love 7-Eleven hot dogs. Um, so obviously, that's a dick move. Yeah. And he said it's even a bigger dick move in Japan. They were like... Yeah, no, it's a huge dick move. They were like, this is a big slight. This is obviously a message that they're trying to send me. That yeah. He said that they were obviously trying to tell him... You are the outsider. You are a foreigner. You don't understand how business works here. And Kikakawa, he's the man. He runs this place. You need to not question him. That being said, I guess he said that he was obviously very nice in the meeting. Like it was a very yeah, they it, would it was be. meant to be like a subtle jab. But he was like he was nice in the meeting, and he basically said something along the lines of, "Oh, you're too busy to work to to worry about this. Just let us figure this out. It's not your department." Like, like you're too busy um, and deflected all of his questions. So then Woodford asked to speak to Hisashi Mori, who was in the room with them. And he was the he was their VP at the time and therefore the direct subordinate to uh, Michael Woodford. He asked to talk to him alone. He's like he literally says that he's like, you know, uh, like Kikakawa-san, if you're this busy, just just let me talk to Mori alone. And then you don't have to bother yourself with it. And I guess he got super pissed, but still left. And I he Woodford was saying that they he started talking to Maury and he was like asking him questions and Maury was like not giving him any information. And at some point he was like he was like, Who do you work for, Maury? Like, who do you work for? And I guess really, really angrily he said that Mori yelled at him like, I work for Mr. Kikakawa-san. I am loyal to Mr. Kikakawa-san. So that just gives you a little bit of the insight of what yeah. Japanese corporate structure is like, at least then, and I'm sure there's still some ties to it. But um, that being said, Michael Woodford is a man of virtue because he would still constantly send emails to Kikakawa and Mori asking questions about the past acquisitions. He did not give up. He just kept sending them emails like, what are these about? Why are we acquiring these stupid companies? Why are we spending so much money on these things? Why is there so much goodwill attached to these uh, acquisitions? Like like literally something like 80% of, the, of their purchases were in goodwill, like something way too high. That's crazy. Which is part about what the fast article was like. This is weird. Like yeah. something's something sketch is going on. Um, and eventually he started CCing everyone on the board to these emails. He would like ask them questions, call them out, and then CC other members of the board and be like, someone's got to someone answer these questions. Um, just airing out all of this laundry extremely publicly and very smartly creating a paper trail. Yeah, that like, is smart. I'm asking these questions in a way that is, uh, I have record of. Yeah, right? that was smart. Uh, so if any of you at home want to be a whistleblower. This is how you do it. Send emails and get them to respond over email. Do not talk to them in person about things. Mm-hmm. 
it's actually a good for for anything. You should document yeah. anything like this that yeah. you're feeling weird about. Um, despite all this and all of his pushing, the decision was made to actually promote Woodford to CEO of the whole ass company. Um, Kikakawa was still going to remain as the chairman of the board, but Woodford was going to be CEO. And so above Kikakawa's. No, well, they're technically right. They're technically supposed to be even, like the CEO okay. and the board of directors. Okay. But that's not really how it was. Um, Michael Woodford believes that they promoted him to CEO in a way to make him more loyal to the board and in a way to dissuade him from resigning. Because if he resigns, they know he's just running and, and taking this to someone. Right. But it's also noted that they didn't release any of this in in uh japanese like there was no press release about him becoming the ceo in japanese or any japanese publications it was just in like one english language publication because they wanted they they wanted to people to know that it doesn't actually mean anything Mm -hmm. and actually when a spokesperson from the company was asked about the promotion they were like oh Nothing's changing about the structure of leadership. It's just a change in title. That was it. What a dick move. So, you know, they didn't want him to spill the beans. Yeah. Um, Woodford then pulled the ultimate Chad move with, like, a couple of days after being promoted to CEO. um, He employed PricewaterhouseCoopers. To do an investigation into it. Like he gave them their documents and was like, look over this and I want you to tell me if anything's weird about it. Um, See if there's any credence to my suspicions uh, that some misdeeds were done. And when their report said yes, he sent a final email, not only to Kikikawa, not only the whole board, not only all of the leaders of their corporate branches all over the world for Olympus, but to senior management at their auditor, Ernst and Young. Of course. And in this email, he called for the immediate resignation of Kikikawa and basically every other executive for their roles in the scandal. Like, hey, I went to an auditor. I had them do some forensic accounting. They say shit's weird, just like I've been saying shit's weird. You guys should resign. Hey, auditor, we need to adjust our books, whatever. And what a what a BDE move. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm not only telling you I'm going straight to the people who can like arrest you and you guys need to resign just like in a in a public email. That's crazy. Um so obviously an emergency meeting was called and they made Woodford wait. They started the meeting late, which in Japan, that doesn't happen. What 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 was that like a couple of years ago? The the guy who runs their train systems, like I think a train ran like forty five seconds late, and he made a public apology. Yeah, like that's how crazy timing is. They're very on time. Like you are on time. And the meeting was supposed to start at nine. They made it went to like nine oh seven or something. That's a big deal or for like, them. Yeah. It's so, not like here where like you have a nine o'clock meeting and it starts at nine fifteen. Yeah, nine o'clock meetings never start at nine. Are you no, kidding me? No, no, no. Um and now that they're over Zoom, you know that someone's gonna be like, 
Oh, I was having problems. They're moving their mouth. And they're like, Helen, we can't hear you. Helen, you're muted. <laughs> you're muted, Helen. And then in the chat, it's just like, I don't know how to work this thing, lol. <laughs> and then they start 20 minutes late. And you're like, I hate I hate my job. Um, <laughs> but they made him wait. And finally, when Kikakawa comes in, uh, he goes up to the podium or whatever. And he's like... He's like, you know, he's like, the agenda of this meeting is to talk about some recent questions about acquisitions and consulting fees that we have paid recently. But I'm here to announce that that agenda has been struck from the minutes. And the new agenda of this meeting is to discuss the immediate dismissal of Michael Woodford as CEO of this company. And they took a, he was like, I'd like to put it to a vote. And every single fucking board member voted to remove Michael Woodford as CEO. They didn't let him talk. They didn't let him vote. They didn't let him do anything. And they were like, all right, get out. We're kicking you out. What the fuck? Yeah. And he actually, he describes after that, going back to his office and he's like packing his office up and this like big guy comes in and he's like, hey, give me your computer. But Michael Woodford had already sent his computers back to the UK. Nice. He's like, they're, ar- they're already on their way back to the UK securely. It's done. He's like, okay, give me your phone. So they took his business phone and he's like, guess what? It's already been wiped. He wiped his phone already. And then they at were least like, he's smart. And then they were like, "Give me your private phone." And he was. And then I guess he got into a fight with the guy. He's like, "Fuck no!" He's like, "My wife's not going to know where I am." Like all this yeah. shit. Like, you can't take my private yeah, phone. But they take- they tried to muscle him out of his private phone too. And this is a good point to, or a good time to point out that um, in that Facta article, they also made allegations that some of the payments were going to the Yakuza. The Jap- oh. like some of the people that got paid actually had ties to the Japanese mafia, and that they were they were kicking back some of the money to the the other companies that they acquired, like people who own the company and to the yakuza. Shit. So he's kind of like, um, I don't like this. And then he went to his house to pack up his like the stuff at his place, and he noticed there were these like two really muscly guys in his lobby downstairs and no one ever hangs out there is what he said he's like no one's ever in there just hanging out and when i went in they were there and when i left they were still there what the fuck um so he's scared for his life at this point yeah i would be too but he does one thing before he leaves he calls a financial reporter in japan and has him meet him at a cafe and gives this reporter all of his documents all of his information and says use this and then he flees the country back to the UK before Holy shit. before someone can uh, find like, out kill him. Yeah, because yeah. he was like, he he kept saying that you know I'm worried for my family, I'm worried for me. Like I think these people are going to hurt me, which is like scary after everything you just did. And you get fired in this big like theatrical board meeting. Like yeah. dang. Um, when Woodford got back to the UK, he started a huge PR campaign, like giving interviews to anyone who would listen about the corruption that was going on at Olympus. And although at first uh, Olympus finally was forced to respond and they were like, they just denied, obviously that's what you do. They're like Woodford's upset because we fired him. 
Um, we only fired him because he didn't understand Japanese business, and now he's trying to get back at us. Deny, deny, deny. But eventually, the piper had to get paid. Um, after a few weeks with growing pressure on Olympus, they finally designated their fall men uh, when they dismissed their internal auditor, uh, Hideo Yamada, and their quality control officer, Hasashi Mori, who was also their VP, and finally admitted that the scheme at least happened. Because now, I mean, literally, they have a for, they got a for, forensic auditor's report on their books that said some shit's up. So they just kind of had to. And although Kikukawa claimed to not have known anything at the time. He of was, course. He was like, oh, but I didn't do anything. Right. These guys are kind of a disgrace. But me, I didn't do anything. But a few weeks later, Kikukawa also exited the company by putting his resignation in at a board meeting. A board meeting, by the way, that Woodford was at because he wasn't removed from the board of directors. Just a CEO? He was just removed as CEO, so he was like still there Did for all the rest of this. Did they forget that they... I think they were worried about getting even more backlash. Uh, like, 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 just being like, oh, uh, you're just firing him because he's bringing these allegations against the company. They were kind of like caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. They knew it could be like, honestly, firing him as CEO might have been kind of a rash decision to begin with anyway. Like, maybe Kikakawa was just pissed off. Yeah. And he walked in that meeting and was like, you know what? We're firing this guy. <laughs> And like we said, everyone just kind of goes along with it. So if you brought up the question then and there and said, who's for firing this man? They would have all been like, yes. Because they're all literal yes men. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. Um, uh, so an investigation uh, was then launched by the Tokyo Metropolitan Police, which revealed actual losses of nearly $6.25 billion. U.S. dollars. That's not in yen. That is $6.25 yeah, yeah. billion. Dollars, oh, um, my God. After which seven arrests were made, of which the main three, Kikikawa, Yamada, and Mori, were each sentenced to four to five years. Suspended, though. And you're probably wondering, what's suspended? It's basically probation. They got to go home, and they're on probation, and then at, at the end of four to five years, if they haven't done anything other like any other crimes, they just call it, okay, time served. So they never actually went to jail. And sentenced to four to five years of what is basically pro probation. So uh, Japan didn't do any better at prosecuting their Enron than we did with the American Enron. Shocking. Um, at least they convicted some people in this one because, uh, oh, I mean, I guess Jeff Skillings got convicted in, in yeah. Enron too. But uh, he served long. He at least went to jail. Yeah. Like, come on, man. You couldn't at least put him in an actual jail for a little bit? Like, not even a night? Not even a night. It's disgusting. Um, however, the company did need uh, to pay out some cold, hard cash over the scandal, including uh, 10 million pounds to Woodford for wrongful termination. They settled, gave him 10 million pounds. All right, cool. Uh, and a fine of a staggering $594 million from the three arrested parties in a shareholder derivative suit. 94 so, million American dollars? 594 million American dollars, yeah. What did I say? Did I you said 94 million. Oh, I meant 594 yeah, 594 million. million. American dollars, though? American dollars, Shit. yeah. From yeah. those three. So although they didn't have to serve jail time, they did have to they, pay. At least they had to pay. They had to pay a lot of money, at least. Um 
And I mean, I don't know how much they really benefited off this. Uh, there was never anything about if they sold stock. I don't think they sold any of their stock before uh, what happened next, which was a huge crash on their stock. Their stock fell 75% from like $8 to like $2. Oh, shit. Um, at the time, because of the scandal. But that being said, the new executives uh, and the new board, because they fired everyone, they actually did do a good job about just like get ridding, getting rid of everyone. They righted the ship and restored confidence in Olympus, and Olympus is still around and making cameras today, even though they might not be that much better than iPhones now. I mean, uh, Olympus, those cam- those are the cameras I still see use at like sports, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah. that's, I don't, I, other than that, I don't see anyone with an Olympus. No. I don't even see anyone with a camera, to be very honest Not, with you. other than a photographer, no. Yeah, and even then, they got, like, a, oh, like a Sony? See Sony Usually, cameras, right? Usually, yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about photography. I shouldn't even be saying anything. I don't uh, know. Michael Woodford, hero of this story, though, uh, got to ride off into the sunset and now works as a consultant helping other companies maintain ethical business practices from the inside out, which is probably at least like 30% bullshit but if it's if it's 70% not bullshit then then I'll take it um sweeping business reform did happen in Japan following the scandal much like here in America with Enron and the Sarbanes-Oxley Act um where in Japan they placed into practice not allowing the amortization of goodwill anymore which is also not a part of gap here in America uh and advising against uh, one person holding concurrent titles of CEO, president, and or chairman of the board. Yeah, Any of those at the same time. Idea. Not a really good idea. I don't. I don't know if that was a law or just like an advisement, which an advisement is not worth anything. But I, I couldn't remember exactly. But they, they at least came out and said like you probably shouldn't. So is what it is. So from medical devices to misdeeds. The crimes of Olympus were anything but microscopic. Hey. Uh, the books of Olympus, much like the fabrics that may have passed through Antony Van Leeuwenhoek's shop, uh, clearly needed some closer inspection. Not only did Olympus engineer a scheme to hide losses for multiple decades, but they made it incredibly clear that anyone who stood in their way would be cut down. Because they were an unstoppable force. However, Michael Woodford, who came from a nation that eats beans for breakfast, by the way, uh, was an unlikely hero and an immovable object. We champion him as one of the true heroes of the fight against corporate greed. One of the first ones we've ever seen where I was like, yeah, look at this guy. This guy actually has morals. No one's like this. Um, The story of Olympus still isn't fully developed as they still make cameras to this day, but hopefully the arrest of their top brass helps them get the picture of what... Get the picture that white-collar crime simply doesn't pay. I'm telling you, I'm trying to... I'm trying to write for a really stupid, like, true crime show. That's, that's I like how, it. That's how my outros are sounding. They literally sound like hokey. You know you know the documentaries where they do the dramatici- yes, dr- yes. dramatizations? Is that right? I don't even know. Yeah. And the acting is fucking awful. Yes. And they've got stuff like that playing over it. Yes. I'm just flexing my muscle on that. So uh, A&E... If, if Call us. Yeah, if you're doing a white-collar crime thing... We got you, yeah, baby. We'll, we'll write it for you. Let's do it. I don't care. Um, I'm, you know, we talk about selling out all the time and how it's bad. I'm kind of ready. Yeah, let's just sell out. I'm going to sell out. I'm ready to sell my soul to the devil. Let's go. Let's do it.
I'm already looking at maybe working for a pharmaceutical company. Even oh, my God, Kashan. I know. We bash those people all the time, and they are evil. Yeah, they, they are. They are evil. So, we'll see. Anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening uh, to this episode on Olympus. It was a crazy story. There's a really. There's also, if you want to, to listen more about like Woodford's direct perspective and some of the other things that happened to him, there's a really good BBC documentary on the subject. Nice. So they haven't made one for uh, non-bean eating English speakers, <laughs> uh, but but there is there is one over there. Uh, so go and check that out. Um, and if you liked today's episode, you like this episode, you're not r- running quickly to turn on a BBC4 to watch that uh, documentary, then you can go ahead and support us, please, by uh, liking, uh, rating this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, um, shouting out how much you love the podcast in the street to random strangers. Um, that might work. I mean, it can't hurt too much, right? Uh you can do that if you want to support us for free. You can also support us for not free by buying our merch. That's at tpublic.com. The link is in the show description. Um, or you can go to our website, whitecollegeredhands.com, and click that button that says check out our merch, and that'll take you straight to the page. You uh, can get a hoodie for the weather yes, that's turning cold uh, right now, and that'll help you help your, your uh, elbows stay warm. <laughs> in your head. Oh, yeah, and the, who could forget the most important part, your head. Um, got that head game on fire. Um, oh, damn. You can check out our socials as well, facebook.com slash white collars red hands, uh, Twitter at white collars pod, Instagram at white collars underscore red hands. You can check out our TikTok, it's just white collars red hands. You're probably getting tired of me saying white collars red hands at you. Take a shot every time Kashan says white collars red hands. Oh, you will be so fucked up. You will die. Do it. I don't care. Um, yep. This, that can't be everything, right? That was quick. Uh, tell a friend. I said shout at the street at strangers. Oh, That's basically okay. close enough. Yeah, no, I think that might be it. Well, all right. Uh, Nina needs sleep. She I, I'm feeling worse. I've got to say, her stamina has dropped off after the first, like, five minutes of recording. So, yeah. so you know what? We got Sorry, it Sorry, guys. No, it's fine. I should have stayed home. Next time. The next time you're sick, we'll do it remote, just like how every single business in America did their meetings, and then you could be the one that's like... Yeah. 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 That's a, that that silence was a visual joke. So go watch our podcast yes. if you if you if you wanted to get that one. Uh, all right. So well, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars, Red, Red Hands. Hands.